It's time for the Live, Shop, Work, and Play radio show and podcast. Interesting people, open conversations, and topics worth talking about. And now, your host, a Georgia Bulldog fan and graduate, a smart real estate investor who learns the hard way, and a radio talk show host. You never know what he's going to say. Joe Mullins. Hello, Florida. This is Joe Mullins of the Live, Workshop Play show, and welcome. I'd like to take a moment and welcome my guest. I've got one of Florida's greatest and actually the nation strongest and most boisterous and a man that holds ground to more than anything congressman byron donalds congressman uh welcome to the show and uh thank you for taking the time to be on today oh it's great to be with you thanks for having me on boisterous i'm not sure that's one of one of the adjectives but yeah sometimes i can get pretty loud yeah, well, you you know, the big thing is, is you stand your ground. You you'll say what you mean, and you will say it, and you don't back you don't back off of it. So you've been very strong voice for our state of Florida and for our country, for that matter. People don't realize we had Congressman, former Congressman uh, uh, Doug Collins on, and he was talking about the importance of all congressmen. We kind of tend to think, hey, you just represent Florida, but you're fighting battles for our country. You are putting our voice on a national level. And when you voice it, you stand strong behind it. And that's very respectful where we've seen a lot of congressmen kind of waffle around. They worry about their districts. They worry about boarding certain people. And you have made it very clear who you stand behind, who you feel like could get this country back in shape. And that's what I mean about being boisterous, being firm on your stances. And that's what we need in the state. But speaking of, to give us a little update. Some of our listeners that don't know you coming your some of your background and um, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Congress. Well, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Um, I graduated from Florida State University degrees in finance and, and marketing and moved to Naples back in 2003. Never thought I was going to stay in Naples very long. And, you know, I got involved locally, obviously started my career there, was in the business world for 17 years before I started getting into politics. And um now I represent Southwest Florida in Congress. It's been a real crazy ride. But I think I think more importantly than that is, um, you know, I'm a political convert. You know, growing up in the inner city of Brooklyn, you know, when I was first registered to vote as, at 18, I registered as a Democrat. That's just what you did growing up in the inner city. And, and frankly, what a lot of people don't really get is most young kids register as how their parents were registered. And they're not really thinking much about politics. So it's really a it's a it's a decision based upon your friends and your family, mostly your family, about how you register and what you typically vote and how you typically vote. So I was apolitical, like most people in the country, until I was about 30 years old. And then, you know, when we were looking at the financial collapse in 08 and I started reading, you know, about um, um in the constitution and, and, you know, article one powers and so on and so forth. That's when I started realizing that I was actually very conservative. Um, and I think what really got me there was my career. I had been working in finance for a decade. So being a finance guy, I already believed in, 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 in free market capitalism. So that, that was the easy part for me, but it was understanding the politics um, and the political philosophy that allow free market capitalism to be the best economic engine the world's ever seen. And so that's how I got ended up becoming a conservative. And then once I realized I was a conservative, I was like, well, shoot, I guess I should re-register and register as a Republican and everything kind of took off from there. You know, Congressman Donalds, I'm glad you're speaking about the the registration of a Democrat and Republican. I grew up Democrat. I grew up in Georgia. I grew up with uh, uh, we we had a president at the time, uh, Jimmy Carter, 
And we went out. I remember mom asking me to support him and she supported him on values of morals. He was a godly man and a very conservative spending. And he looked out for the common man and the common, the farming and so forth. Uh, today, it's been a flip. And you see the Republicans taking more of that stance. And I remember when, when Reagan ran, we came in and flipped there. So it, I almost tell people, and I tell listeners continually, don't vote Republican or Democrat. Vote on values, morals, and people's actions if you see them. Because a lot of Democrats don't support what's going on on the far left, and they don't want to be a part of that. But they, they don't change the party, and they just vote straight Democrat. So you bring up a very good point. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally accurate. And that's how it happens a lot of the times. That's just what people end up doing. And I think everybody has their their aha moment or their their moment upon which they become politically aware. And that really shapes uh, their views the rest of their life. Um, and so, you know, I always look at politics from that perspective. You know, we obviously we have disagreements in our country on a myriad of issues, but a lot of it is when people become politically aware or what is their key issue. And then I think the, the, the real thing to get is understanding those differences and then trying to bridge the gaps where they can be bridged. And for everybody else where it's just vehement disagreement, that's why elections matter. And that's why people just have to choose. Now, Congressman, when did you take office? When did you officially take office? So what Congress I was sworn in is to, I, I was elected in 2020 to Congress. That's, yeah, that's, I was that's what I thought. I was a commissioner for two years. And I remember when I met you, it was in uh, West Palm Beach at a Trump event where he was speaking and he came in and signed a water bill where he did more uh uh, water protection than any president in history. Yeah. And he mentioned you. Uh, we met. Uh, someone said you were running. We met real briefly. And then the president mentioned you and talked so highly of you and sp- said, this guy is going to be a big leader for our state of Florida and we need to get him in office. Um, he endorsed you like he's done many people. And amazingly, he, he just recently was speaking and he talked about how people are faithful, they're committed and you can count on them and trust the word. And he listed you as one of the highest ones where there we've seen some people kind of use his endorsement or use him. And then they start timidly backing off of him going, oh, I don't want to get voted out and show us support him. Right now, the man's leading in the polls. He's leading uh, Biden. He's leading um, all the Republicans. He's taken stances, standing away from the Republican regime and saying, I'm here for America. And I think America is starting to see it. But have there been times where you've been faced with, oh, God, do I stand behind this man or do I do I continue uh, or do I start kind of backing off and being quiet? You certainly have stood the ground. Have you ever had any moment where you felt uh, concerned about that? Not really. I mean, because first of all, I, I think a lot of people in politics take their their time in politics way too seriously that that's the first one um i always look at it as a we're a vapor in time every elected official is you're going to be in the limelight or on top or whatever for a period of time and then it's going to go away so while you're doing this you might as well just stand for something and and not be you know and, and and not be ashamed of it be unabashed about it i think that you know the president his the biggest thing that that people have time fault with him are tweets so like, I'm like, if, if your concern is our mean tweets, then we just can't agree on anything because I'm not a person who gets caught up in the emotions of stuff. I'm a results oriented person. I'm solutions focused. It always happened. So, you know, President Trump was always doing the best thing for the country. So if he put out a tweet that I wouldn't, that I wouldn't put out on my Twitter account, 
our ex account now. Okay, that, that's fine. But just because you said something doesn't mean I have to like, now I have to like run away and be like, oh my gosh, I can't ever support you. That's just, to me, that's, it's a little immature. Like people have differences. We all have differences. We have differences in our families. You think there ain't gonna be differences politically? Uh, but, um, but the key thing is, does the person who's doing the job, are they doing it for the right reasons? Are they doing it with the country's interests at heart? Are they actually putting forward policies in the best interest of the country? He's done that. And so, you know, we have a lot of people who've now come into politics and in a lot of respects following his lead, who have been, who have been very bold in their statements, understanding that that's what the American people have been looking for for a very long time and actually doing the thing you said you were going to do. Like not just campaigning on it, but just doing it. And, and, and I think it's what it actually has created is a real movement in this country where elected officials are now coming into the House and the Senate and they're talking to House leadership. You've seen what's happened up here on Capitol Hill this year. And they're basically saying, no, we're not doing business as usual. Like we came here to do this. We mean that. And, and, and that's it. And if that stuff can't happen, then nothing can happen. It's somewhat refreshing. It's a change of the guard. But, but I think that to back away from President Trump, because the media got on him, I mean, this is the same media that lies all the time. So why would I care what they think anyway? I agree with you so heartily. I, I was attacked many times as a commissioner saying I'm too Trump friendly. I'm too much Trump oriented. And uh, it just I continue to say, hey, I, I maybe I wouldn't take its approach. Maybe I do. But at the end of the day. I like what his results are. I like the gas prices, the better economy. Uh, when I was in Europe just recently, they said, oh, no, he, he would start a war. And I looked at him and I said, guys, we're at a war. The Ukraine, the um, uh, the Israel, we are at war right now. And this weakness is bringing us to war. It was very interesting hearing him say that and talk about that. And then uh, on top of that, they were talking about how Trump in his 24 months after he took office, uh, I think the first one, there was a few casualties, but there was no loss of life in our military, which was amazing. Yeah. And now we're seeing it right and left. And that's what people don't realize. When you show weakness at the top, other countries start disrespecting, they not fear you and they start acting crazy. And that's what we're seeing in the world today. Now, you take that approach in Congress. You also stand strong. What is your take on what's going on in Congress? And before I start with it, I do want to let our listeners know there's 3 million listeners throughout Florida. You're a very important key person for the state and for the nation, not just Naples. What you say and you do, you're fighting for the state of Florida. You've helped out. Your, your office has helped us out in our county many times. We've reached out and you guys have always been there. You don't do boundaries. You don't sit there and say, hey, are you Republican or Democrat before I help you? You go, hey, what is the problem? Let's get it solved. And what's the best thing in the long run? And that's what I love about you. But what what is give us your take on Congress, what's happening, the shutdown, the new speaker, how all that's going, how the relationship is. Give us your take on that. Well, I mean, look, this has been a historic Congress. I, I joke with my colleagues that they, that no era has done it like the 118th has because, you know, we had a fight over our speaker. Our speaker has been vacated. There's been uh, a lot of push around how we're going to restore regular order, how we're going to pass appropriation bills, how we're going to fight for border security. And I think we've hit this point in time where the majorities are thin. Members are very vocal about what they want to see, and they're not willing to give their voter card to the leadership or to the Senate. 
And so it's created this dynamic where it's really a bottom up process, which is really, which is something that hasn't really happened in the halls of Congress in a generation and probably longer than that, where the members are fully empowered to make decisions. And, you know, they're just, they're making them. And I think it's been, it's allowed because of the, the impact of social media one. Social media has allowed this situation where members now directly communicate with their districts. Um, so it's no longer that the communication goes through the Washington Post or the New York Times, or when you do a town hall meeting, it's active, it's nonstop, it's 24 hours a day. So the people can see what's happening. Members are communicating what's happening. And I think that where that leaves us is it's, it's going to be a very interactive way of legislating going forward. Um, I think for Speaker Mike Johnson, you have a man, deep face, a man who's committed to the Constitution. He's a constitutional lawyer. Um, he's very principled. And so for somebody like that to now be the second uh, most powerful person in Washington, um, that is going to change a lot of dynamics. And I think that's going to be seen over the next couple of months. Do you think uh, that we are in danger? The biggest news story today when I got up out here, and of course, we, you can't believe the media. The media spins it. They just want to grab your ear, said our government is going to shut down here. We're in a critical point and we'll probably shut down because Republicans and Democrats can't agree. Do you see that occurring? Uh, it's possible. Do you see that being the biggest it also, threat it also that we that we face no government's being shut the, the government being shut down is not the biggest threat we face the biggest threat we face is the fact that we're running a two trillion dollar deficit this year we're going to be 35 and a half trillion dollars in debt and the senate i'm going to specifically say the senate and house democrats choose to ignore the realities we face fiscally interest on the debt is going to be it's going to be the number three thing that we pay for in the next year Number one is going to be Medicare. Number two is Social Security. Number three is going to be interest. And number four is going to be defense. That's a systemic problem. That's way more powerful, way more important than shutting down the government for five or 10 days. You know, Congressman Donald, you're you're in finance and your background's in that, mine's in business. And people don't realize you can't keep creating money, creating debt to solve problems. You can't money a problem in the company and that is the approach government has taken over the last yes. uh, you know, few years. We're going to just money it, create more money. And now we're seeing inflation. We're seeing uh, high gas prices, which people don't understand. This is the result of just making that magical money. I was over in Europe a few weeks ago with the Jaguars. And we went over there and I tried to give people American money and they did not want it. And their biggest reasoning was is they didn't have confidence that that money was going to be worth anything. And I was trying to tip them and they said, no, thank you. We don't even want it. We don't want to go near it. They are so worried about our dollar collapsing that they don't even want to take a $20 tip, even though it may convert into 18. Um, how do we correct that? How do we fix that? Because Congress, this is one of their biggest roles. Well, a couple of things. I think the, the first thing is, you know, it's kind of what some of the fights are going to be about over the next month or so. Like there's this hundred billion dollar supplemental that the White House wants, right? Okay. Our view is, well, if you want the supplemental, you have to pay for it. Meaning what that means is that you have to take it out of other money that you're already going to spend. So if your desire is to give Ukraine $60 billion, which by the way, I don't agree with, but if your desire is to give $60 billion to Ukraine, then at the same time, you can't give the IRS $80 billion to hire new agents. At the same time with that, you can't give these, these venture cap funds 
who are all investing in Green New Deal technology, a trillion dollars in tax credits. Like you can't do all those things. You have to prioritize. You got to pick and choose. The way I liken it is like in a family, you know, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you want to go on vacation, sure, you can borrow that from the credit card company, but you know you're going to have to repay that to the credit card company. The credit card company isn't then going to allow you to borrow another five grand to, to go to Vegas and then like, let you borrow another five grand to go party in the Bahamas. Like they're not going to do that. So in Washington, we have to understand that reality as well. And we have to live by that reality. One of the things we did, and this is small, mind you, one of the things we did uh, two weeks ago when, uh, for Israel to fund Israel and help them in the, in the current war against uh, Gaza and Hamas, we said, okay, there's $14 billion that they need. We're going to take that money out of this IRS slush fund. Do you know what Chuck Schumer and the Democrats said? They were like, oh, this is unconscionable. How dare you do this with supplementals? We never do this with supplementals. Well, that's the problem. We never pay for supplementals. That's how you end up getting it to $33 trillion in debt. So $14 billion is small compared to the overall problem. But what, you're, what we're trying to do here on Capitol Hill is retrain Washington, retrain the staff, by the way, which nobody ever talks about. We affectionately call it the swamp, but it's the staff and it's the lobbyists. Retraining them and then retraining a lot of our colleagues that going forward, you got to start paying for this stuff. If that mindset can take hold on Capitol Hill, and by the way, the Democrats are fighting that, but if that mindset can take hold on Capitol Hill, then you can start doing the really tough stuff, like actually getting reforms at the Department of Defense so our military is a lean, mean fighting machine and not a bloated bureaucracy. It's about reforms necessary to Medicare because the program does go insolvent in nine years. Social Security goes insolvent in nine years. It's being able to do those things while the beneficiaries, the people who were promised something, still get the thing that they were promised. But we are actually taking care of the physical health of the nation. That's the pathway. That's what has to happen. It can happen with new leadership at the top. Um, the Democrats are not going to do any of this because the Democrats would rather just borrow the money and have our dollar completely collapse so that they can remake the country in their own image. Like I do believe that the Democrat strategy has always been this Cloward Piven strategy because every decision they make takes us down that, that line. I'm glad you said all this because media wants you to think it's the Republicans hate the Democrats and that's why they're not agreeing and they're willing to shut our country down. You've just very clearly stated why it's so important to not just give in and not just give that budget to uh, a, a wild spending uh, administration that's going out of control. And, and I mind you, I'll remind you of what you said. We're spending money in other countries that don't like us. They hate us. They don't want to have anything to do with us, but yet they want our money. They want our military. They want our protection, but yet they turn around and uh, 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 do this. And we're giving them tons of money when we really need to keep it inside here. Uh, border security. What's your thoughts on border security? We're now starting to see that President Trump wasn't so crazy wanting to build a wall. Now the Democrats are saying we do need to close it up a little bit. What's your thoughts there and why did it take this to get there? I mean, look, border security just has to happen. For me, it's a non-starter. Like, I, I will be very clear, and this is my position I've taken with the speaker and with every, and a lot of other people. It makes no sense to fund the Department of Homeland Security if it doesn't do its primary job, which is securing the homeland. What's the point of giving that agency money? Its whole purpose is to secure the homeland, and now it does it, does it in, uh, in name only. 
You know, we do it on things like spying on the American people, but we don't do it in terms of securing each other border to protect the American people. Like this is how nuts that agency has gotten. So I think border security, we have to use every legislative tool available to us to fight to secure our border. Every one. It needs to be the topic of conversation every single time. But President Trump was right, because if you have a situation where now seven million people have come into the country on this phony asylum process set up by Joe Biden, um, they're just going to stay unless you send them home immediately, which is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to send them home. Our cities can't even take them anymore. Even the Democrat mayors don't want to deal with this anymore. They think that this is crazy at this point because now they have to live with the consequences of the policy they always supported. So we are going to have to resecure the border. Wall construction, yeah, finish it. Remain in Mexico is key. Um, asylum, we need to put that on quotas again, unless there's actually um, a, uh, we need to return it to an asylum, to a quota process asylum, unless there's some war torn effort in the world. And of course, then we can evaluate that as a country. We evaluate that together with the American people. Um, and then look, I've been an advocate for a long time of two more things. I think immigration should go back to the quota system. We should get rid of chain migration. That should no longer occur. And then this is one that's specific to me is birthright, birthright citizenship. Birthright citizenship is a bastardization of the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment was for black was for the children of black slaves because they came here through no faults of their own. We all understand that. So I think that's the stuff that you do to get the immigration in our country under control, because it's not that you don't want people to come. I want people to immigrate to the United States, but I want them to do it legally. And yes, I do want them to assimilate to our way of life. Because American way of life is different than the way of life in Africa or in Asia or in the Middle East or even Europe at this point. So if you're going to come to the United States, it's because you're going to do it our way. Um, Let me ask you that, you know, Congressman Donald, it's funny you say that about the cities and the Democratic cities way they run. I'm out here. One of the news stories is San Francisco now is panicking. They're worried about the homeless now being everywhere. They're worried about the drugs. They're seeing it's not working. And they're now starting to crack down and tighten up. Elected officials are calling for it. And uh, it's funny you mentioned that because those cities are starting to realize we need protection. We need public safety. We have made a mistake by allowing so many people just walking in. The things that you guys were fighting for with Trump in and that you guys were arguing and standing strong for are now starting to prove and come right. And I see Biden shifting, saying he now is supporting it and he's part of it. But if you look back and media would call him out and fact check him, they would see where he wasn't telling the truth or he was changing his. Unfortunately, media doesn't do that on the liberal side. Well, let's be very clear about what's happening in San Francisco. There is this big uh, global conference that's supposed to be happening there in a couple of days. And so Gavin Newsom is the one that's ordering the cleaning of a section of San Francisco. They're not doing it because they think it's time to reverse course. They're creating a Potemkin village so that when Xi Jinping comes here, he doesn't have a view of San Francisco that the people who live in San Francisco have to deal with. It's disgusting. And I know sometimes people are saying, oh, well, uh, uh, Joe Biden won't run for president. They're going to swap him out. They're going to put in Gavin Newsom. Um, I would love nothing more because Gavin Newsom is by far the worst governor in the country. It ain't close. 
The guy's awesome. He might have the slick hair of Pat Riley, but he ain't no champion. I'll tell you that. I agree 100% to watch it, to look at it. When I was out there for the national championship, I did videos and sent them back. And I was telling everybody, being in the sports and entertainment industry, I travel a lot. We got off the plane. Drugs were coming at us. People were panhandling. When you go down the streets, there's tents everywhere. That is their solution to deal with the drugs and the homeless problem. Just put them in tents, put them on street corners. And I was hearing that drug use was going at all time high disease was. Yet that's the solution that they want to do to these people. And that's that governor. That's that insane governor. And it's not working. And law enforcement doesn't support him. They're turning around saying they wish they had stronger leadership because they're not seeing the backing from them that they other countries and other I'm sorry, other states and other counties and cities get uh, similar to us in Florida. And that's thankful because we have men and women like you that are defending our great state. I want to thank you for joining us today. And I want to remind our listeners that it is so crucial and so important that we keep our homeland security strong to keep our communities and keep our country the greatest place. Joe was great. I can do it anytime. Thanks, Congressman. Thank you for joining us this weekend and uh, have a great weekend. 